Some of you may have noticed that when you turned on the TV news these days, there are teenagers talking about the complex issues of the day. Leftist reporters like George Stephanopoulos on ABC or Allison Camerata on CNN can be seen coaching these young people on how to attack your Second Amendment rights with emotionalism and incendiary rhetoric wholly unconnected from the facts. And you may say to yourself, wait a minute, why am I listening to some teenager try to manipulate my emotions while talking about things he knows nothing about? I can get that at home. Whatever happened to professional journalists trying to manipulate my emotions while talking about things they know nothing about? Don't be concerned. This is all part of the corporate media's long-term plan to raise the intelligence level of mainstream journalism. In the first stage of the corporate plan, people like Don Lemon and Brian Williams delivered the headlines with such incredible stupidity and dishonesty that you were practically begging for change. Now, in answer to those prayers, teenagers have come on to start talking nonsense in arrogant voices that mask their ignorance. And you've probably already noticed the improvement. Next, the news will be delivered by toddlers who are just learning to form simple sentences with one-syllable words. And the IQ and honesty levels will rise so far above those of Chris Cuomo and Lester Holt that you'll eagerly await the next step. And hooray, here it is. Soon, the news will be delivered by plants and then finally by inanimate objects. Surely watching a half-hour news show hosted by a potted cactus or a lovely shade-giving, fruit-bearing guava tree would be a huge improvement over the people currently delivering the news. And finally, when we can turn on our televisions and just stare at a bedroom dresser for half an hour, or a rock, or maybe a nice piece of pocket lint, the quality of information we'll be receiving will be so much higher than what we're getting now from Brian Stelter, or that cute little male model guy on ABC, that we'll be more than grateful for the change. So, don't worry about the screaming teens. It's just a stepping stone on the way to better mainstream journalism brought to you by toddlers, plants, and inanimate objects all of whom will be doing a better job than the people on camera today. Or you could just streamline the whole process by turning off the TV altogether. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. So you guys are just going to have to do better to get through the Clavenless weekend without going insane. I mean, this like it was like the media took over the world with absolute nonsense. I go away for three days. It's like a three-day week. Come on. Come on. Pull yourselves together. Well, we're back. Michael Knowles will be here to talk about the history of gun control in America, which should be really interesting. I mean, basically, what I was watching over the weekend was the media trying to take away your right to protect yourself from crime and tyranny by using these poor traumatized teenagers from the Florida shooting to, you know, come on and get at your emotions and spew nonsense and sort of make you feel like you should do something you shouldn't do. And the thing about this is, is in the broader sense, this is what I'm constantly harping on about how the left goes for narrative while the right stick, tries to stick to the facts. So the right comes on and says, well, you know, uh, gun level has uh, increased hugely, but crime has gone down. Uh, you know, all these kids are mentally, you know, there's so much uh, correlation between mental illness and mass shootings and between fatherless households. Maybe we should start talking about that. Uh, the guns are there to protect our freedoms. Maybe we should arm teachers. 
no, 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 no. Don't worry about that because we have a crying teenager here looking at, at you and calling you names. And so that's what you should do. And the problem is, the thing that I keep emphasizing is that facts win in the short term. People are smart. They look at the facts and they say, huh, you know, this is not the issue. The issue is something else. But over the long term, narrative creates the atmosphere in which people think. Okay, it's like when Barack Obama got reelected and we kept saying, look, look at the facts. He's doing a bad job. The economy is bad. Uh, the Middle East is worse than it was. Everything he's touched has turned to garbage. He was reelected anyway because of this narrative of, oh, St. Obama is here and now we're redeemed from our racism and America has left its past behind. And if you don't reelect him, uh, right back into the pit. And that created an atmosphere where I think a lot of people were afraid not to reelect this guy who was not doing a uh, who is just not doing a good job. So watching this stuff, I mean, it's embarrassing. Most egregious was this this poor kid, David Hogg. And I'll tell you why I call him a poor kid in a, in a minute. But he, he looks like he looks like a guy from Central Casting for a film about how fascism came to America. He looks like this little Nazi who is like using all these kind of uh, sophisticated adult tricks with this little uh, kid face. And it reminded me of a movie that no one has ever seen but me. Uh, when I, it was, it's a movie called Wild in the Streets. It came out in 1968. It starred a, a guy who was supposed to be a young star, Christopher Jones, as a rock star who takes over the government. And it ends with absolute tyranny as they put all the people over 30 in, in concentration camps and feed them on LSD. So help me God, that is, and it had a really good song. I can't, I can't remember the song for Wild in the Streets, but the theme song was really good, uh, really kind of catchy. But here, just take a look at this guy. Before I show you David Hogg, I'm sure if you watch TV at all, you saw over the weekend. Just take a look at this. David Jones, he looks exactly like him from this film, Wild in the Streets. This is him, I believe this is his inauguration speech as he takes over the presidency at 25. I mean, do you really want a man in his 60s running the country? I mean, what do you ask a 60-year-old man? You ask him whether he wants his wheelchair facing the sun or facing away from the sun. <laughs> And so that's and there's that self-assurance, that absolute, you know, uh, he, he's better than you. And you, if you're old, you're out, you're washed up, that whole thing. So here's David Hogg, this kid who was in the school where the shooting took place. And he says his sister lost some friends. In one interview, he said it was two friends. In another interview, he said it was three friends. Who knows? But he goes on and he attacks Dana Lash, the spokeswoman from the NRA. And I do know Dana, so I, I admit to being a little prejudiced. She's a lovely person, really nice person, very honest, straightforward person. And here he goes after her with complete ignorance. And everything he says about her is untrue here. She's national spokeswoman, and as such, she's a national propagandist for the NRA. If you listen to her speak, you, she just, she's not really saying anything. She's sounding positive and confident, and that's what she wants the people in the NRA to believe, her five million plus members. She wants them to think that she's on their side, but she's not. She's actually working with the gun manufacturers because... So you're trying to drive a wedge between the NRA leadership and its members. Oh, I don't have to. She's doing that herself, honestly, because she's showing <laughs> that she doesn't care about them. She doesn't care about police. She, that, why do you think she's criticizing these people? It's because she's going after them and she wants her base to continue attacking them so she can sell more guns. Some of the criticism of the NRA, uh, and of Dana very personally, are you concerned that you might actually lose support if you get too personal, too incendiary? Well, she's already done that by attacking uh, Sheriff Scott Israel, who obviously there were some major mistakes made here and ones that we have to look into. 
Um, and I don't want to say anything until after the investigation's done because I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. I'm just a student that had to witness this horrifying incident. But honestly, how can you say that you support law enforcement if you're just constantly attacking them over this? How hypocritical and disgusting are you? And Stelter is coaching the kid, telling him, now you're going too far here, but the kid won't stop. You know, he's just, he's trying to teach him how to, you know, if this kid looks like a self-serious proto-fascist whose arrogance is matched only by his ignorance, that's just saying he's a teenager. That's what teenagers are like. You know, that's what they're like. The fault is not, it is not with him. It is for the press putting him in front of a camera as their spokesman to try and gin up emotionalism. I mean, even Stelter can see they've gone past the point where this is being effective and it's they've made it worse. But now, now in a, CNN becomes an irony-free zone at this moment because Dan Rather, the granddaddy of fake news, is sitting next to this guy. This is Dan Rather chased out of the business because of his misuse of uh, fake documents to try and get at George W. Bush. I mean, it, Dan Rather is like the guiding spirit of CNN. It doesn't matter if I lie as long as I get that Republican. He, Stelter says, give the kid career advice. Listen to this. Anything you want to know from Dan Rather? Got any advice? Writing is the bedrock of the craft. If you want to do anything in journalism, learn to write, dedicate yourself to a lifetime of improving your writing. I can't guarantee you'll be famous and make a lot of money, but you can have a very satisfying career if you concentrate on writing. Absolutely. And that actually would apply to activism as well, right? To, to giving a political speech, working on honing the writing. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, exactly. Yeah. That the best, the best politicians are those who write their own speeches. Huh. John Kennedy, Barack Obama, Ronald Reagan to a degree. <laughs> That is unbelievable. This boy, I mean, I, I feel for the kid. I feel for the kid because somewhere along the line, this kid crashes and burns and these guys aren't going to be around. I mean, if they, they want to give him career advice, they should give should have given it to him before he went on the air instead of parading themselves as this kid's uh, mentors when they're really abusing him. And it really is an abuse. You know, and when he sits around and talks about, oh, I witnessed this horrifying incident, he's like just too slick by half. And I, look, Kids, when, look, you were 17, whoever you are, you know, you were, you, you were 17 at some point. You were an idiot, right? I was, you know, of course, of course, being 17 and being a bonehead are the same things. Those are synonyms, you know, it's like, what are you? I'm a bonehead or I'm 17, but I repeat myself, you know, <laughs> so this kid is on TV and they're using him. It's, it really is wrong. I shouldn't laugh. It's wrong. But that's how desperate they are to get at your, at your civil rights. And when they'll stage a march and it'll be the children's march and the reporters will be weeping and you'll be laughing laughing because you'll know the NRA is gathering adherents and gathering signatures and getting more members and getting more money because they're overstepping the case, but they are creating an atmosphere 20 years down the line that we are not doing. We don't do the same thing. We don't do it as relentlessly as they do. And we don't own the, the mechanism for doing it. We don't own ABC, NBC, and CBS, which are corporate owned. And so, and, and all big corporations are in favor of big government. Let us talk for a minute about small businesses, however, because I don't know about you, but I, whenever I have a, like a plumber or the, you know, air conditioning guy, whoever's coming over, they always say, yeah, we'll be there. Just stay at home and we'll be there between Monday and Thursday, you know, b beginning at 8 a.m. and ending at 5 p.m. And you go like, I can't stay in my home that long. <clears throat> well, I can't tell you when I'm going to be because they're, you know, they're disorganized. It's, it's a tough thing to do. It's not their fault. They're trying to do their job, but they've got, you know, one client here and another client there and that client is canceling and they don't know what their schedule is. House Call Pro fixes that. House Call Pro is an app that arranges your small business 
your small business in such a way that you can notify customers automatically, you can change dates, you can do billing, you won't have outstanding billing, you can even use your phone to collect credit card payments. So if you're, say, a plumber or a, you know carpet cleaning guy, electricians, yard maintenance, all that stuff, Household Pro goes on your phone, will completely organize your business and make it so you can do a better job and people like me don't have to wait around and get angry at you when you're all you're trying to do is your job. It's an easy-to-use app. You can run your business as you're doing your business and you get happier customers and more time with your family and more time doing the things you love. It was voted the number one software to run your business. Now, usually, this thing costs 100 bucks to get started. It's like a 99-buck activation fee. They will cancel this for me. For me, you have to go on and tell them I sent you. If you're ready to get your service business organized and streamlined with your customers, go to housecallpro.com slash Andrew. Tell them I sent you so that they continue to sponsor the show. We keep this big light on, shining in my face. <laughs> Just go on housecallpro.com slash Andrew. They will waive the $99 activation fee. Go to housecallpro.com slash Andrew and organize your business much, much more easily. Now, meanwhile, right, the narrative that they're pushing is we shouldn't have guns. Only celebrity, you know, bodyguards should have guns and only the police have guns. These are the same police who under the Obama administration were killing black people for sport. They were just going, you know, you know, under Obama, black police just went out and killed young black men for fun. But now they're the only ones who are supposed to have the guns. Meanwhile, in Broward County, this Broward County Sheriff's Department dropped it was it was like one of those plays that they play on Sports Center as a hilarious place. They dropped the ball so many times that it was like you know it was like fumbling from one team to another. Broward County. I mean, this this kid who was on this David Hogg is defending the Broward County. Uh, he's doing that typical political thing where he's condemning Dana Lash for everything she says, and he, she's he's accusing her essentially of being a child murderer. But the sheriff, who really did blow it, the sheriff said, that's okay. That, then suddenly he goes into the passive voice. Mistakes were made. Not they made mistakes. Mistakes were made. So we went to Broward County just because we wanted to see how they, how they handle their uh, department. We found them. We took some video of them swearing in uh, new deputies. Here it is. As a deputy of the Can county. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Are we going to get guns? You are. Do we get to ride in the patrol car? You do. You're a fool, Otis. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Quiet, Boomer. Sounds like somebody could get hurt. Isn't that right, Barney? Could be. That's what bothers me. I never cared much about injuries. They're very painful. <laughs> I don't want any part of this. So, but they do, however, they do deliver, very, very important, because since they're the only ones who are going to have guns, they do deliver uh, gun training. I'm afraid there won't be any time to educate you men in the proper use of firearms. Somebody could get hurt. You see, if you're not familiar with firearms, these babies can go off. <laughs> now... <laughs> uh, you see what I mean? Now, that, that would be funny if it weren't so close to what Broward County is like. These guys, there was a... A, an arm, at least, at least one armed guy outside the school. And apparently, according to eyewitnesses and according to the sheriff, Sheriff Israel, this, he didn't go inside. He hid in this little stairwell with his gun pointing at nothing. And also, they had been contacted over 20 times, somewhere between 20 and 30 times. They had been contacted about this kid, the guy who went out and did the shooting. So Jake Tapper, who I said should be ashamed of himself after that CNN uh, town hall meeting, he should be. 
However, he tried to redeem himself on his show. The problem is nobody watches his show. They did, you know, they maybe watched that town hall thing, but he had Sheriff Israel on, and he he ripped him to pieces, and Israel just looked absurd. Here's a, a cut from this. When did you find out that Deputy Peterson had not gone into the building? How soon after the shooting did you know that? Uh, not for days. Uh, we, uh, How many our days? investigators looked. I'm not sure. Because you spent much of the Wednesday night town hall on CNN a with the entire Stoneman Douglas community, students and teachers and parents, attacking the NRA, saying that police need more powers, more money to prevent future tragedies. You didn't disclose any of this to the crowd then, the Stoneman Douglas high school community. Did you know it then? Did you know it Wednesday night? So now uh, Israel says he's done a great job and Tapper really goes after him. This is cut number uh, 14. Are you really not taking any responsibility for the multiple red flags that were brought to the attention of the Broward Sheriff's Office about this shooter before the incident, whether it was people near him, close to him, calling the police Jake, on him? I could Jake, I could only take responsibility for what I knew about. I exercised my, my due diligence. I've given amazing leadership to this agency. Amazing leadership? Uh, I've worked... <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jake. Uh, this is, there's, there's a lot of things we've done throughout. This, uh, this is uh, you, you don't uh, measure uh, a person's leadership by a deputy not going into a. These deputies received the training they needed. Maybe they you measure somebody's leadership by whether or not they protect the community. In this case, you've listed 23 incidents before the shooting involving the shooter, and still nothing was done to keep guns out of his hands to make sure that there were, the school was protected, to make sure you were keeping an eye on him. Your deputy at the Jay school Gunn, failed. Say, I don't understand how you can sit there and claim amazing Jay, leadership. Jake, on 16 of those cases, our deputies did everything right. Our deputies have done amazing things. This, this is a, it's an amazing interview, and Tapper did a great job on it, and he really, I mean, there's one, there was one thing, this wasn't on the Tapper thing, where this, this guy who's a Democrat, obviously, from his, the way he takes responsibility, we know he's a Democrat. He he let this thing go. He did made so many mistakes, and this guy is standing outside, and possibly three other deputies were standing outside doing nothing. And listen to him talk about leadership. I want I want you to listen to what this guy's idea of leadership is. He he should resign, and if he can't resign, the governor should toss him out. This is uh, cut twelve. I'm, I'm the sheriff. My name's on the door. The people responsible are the ones who took the calls and didn't follow up on them, as it was with the FBI, uh, as it was with, with, any, with any person. Leaders cannot, leaders are responsible for the agency, but leaders are not are responsible for a person. Uh, I gave him a gun, I gave him a badge, I gave him the training. If he didn't have the heart to go in, that's not my responsibility. What, what I love about this is the logic, because he starts out by saying, I'm the sheriff, my name is on the door. Now, the next sentence there is, I'm responsible for what happens in my department. If I say, I'm the author, I wrote this book, my next sentence is, I'm the one ultimately responsible for what's in the book, right? But he's, instead, he says, I'm the sheriff, my name's on the door, but I, you know, I can't do anything about it. My deputies aren't doing their job. It's not, that's on me just because my name's on the door. It is an amazing failure of leadership, an amazing failure of the narrative. And this is the true story that's going on while the left and the media, but I repeat myself, are selling this emotional narrative. And just one more piece I just have to play because Dana has taken so many hits from CNN and she went on with Alison Camerata and 
uh, Alison Camerata is just like, it, I, I can never understand with these people when they say that they're not biased, they're not lying, they're not being dishonest. Do they believe that? I, I really do believe they do. I don't think Alison Camerata is sitting there going, yeah, she's got me on this. I should just admit it, but instead I'll lie. I think she really does not know what they do. So here are two cuts spliced together of Dana claiming something, Alison Camerata saying it never happened, and then it happening. You're Fine saying solutions. that, though, it's malicious. It but is. Let, you, you're saying that it's malicious, but yet on your network, you've allowed accusations against me and millions of law-abiding Americans as, and to be indicted as child murderers. I've watched you, Allison, We've on never your said program that, Dana. at this very time slot. We've and you've, never you've allowed said that, that you to were stand child uncorrected murderer. on your Listen, network. You you've allowed it to stand uncorrected on your language. network. That's if you not want to have true, a discussion Dana. of maliciousness. It's not true. But I don't want to get We've here, never Allison, though, to go back and child forth with you. It is true. We have to be fact-based. No, you've allowed the accusations to stand, Allison. Please follow what I'm saying. You've allowed the accusations you. to stand. I don't you've believe you. You've done nothing to correct it. I, I don't you've believe you. You've done nothing to but correct listen, that. Dana, and that is malicious. And it's malicious know. coverage by the network. Dana. If you can't get elected without taking money from child murderers, why are you running? <laughs> hey, guys, are you going to be able to go back to school? <laughs> it's like, I... I I have to believe, I have to believe that she is not like this sinister, lying design. You know, she does not, they do not know what they are doing. They, they, are, they are so immersed in the narrative. They are so immersed in the narrative that they're selling. That there's, and there's no one around them. There's no one to say to them, you know, Allison, you, you did do it. Allison, stop, stop. There's no one there because they're all on the same page because they never hire anybody who disagrees with them. Let me just tell you why, though. Let me read you a couple of things. That what I, where I think they are going with this, and I've said this, I said this from the minute Donald Trump was elected, but it's good to remember. The idea is to create a sense of crisis. The, um, I think, what was it, three times as many people died in that Las Vegas shooting? Why aren't they reporting on that? Because they cannot get the same traction from these kids willing to go, who want to be on TV and want to sell their ideas. They're just about the narrative. So, Listen, to, here's a piece from Politico, left-wing uh, venue. It's called Trump is Winning by Alex Brandon. And I'm selecting these paragraphs, but I'm not taking it out of context. Donald Trump is on track to win re-election to the presidency of the United States. That's, a scare, that's supposed to be the scare lead, right? But it's just true. He is on track to win. You know, he, right now he's more popular than Obama was at the same time. Now he says, yes, despite Russiagate, despite Crapholegate, and despite whatever gate he blunders through next, despite approval ratings that would make Nixon weep, despite his mind-numbing political misjudgments, defending accused pedophiles, for example, and the endless, unnecessary daily drama, Trump is winning. It is actually happening, people. Now, let's go back over this. Russiagate. Russiagate should be called Obamagate. All Russiagate has brought to light so far is that Barack Obama used the government to silence and spy on his political enemies. That is all Russiagate is. It's all it ever was. I mean, there's no... There is no Russiagate. There's only Obamagate. So that's the first thing. So that's just the narrative. All they have to do is repeat it as if it's already established. Let's talk about what, what he, I, I'm translating it to crap hole gate. You know, the, the fact that Donald Trump said something that was true, uh, that was true about Haiti and everybody got upset and they cried. Oh, the, the people on CNN cried. That's how you know it's serious. So that's not an important thing. Despite whatever gate he blunders through next, which means nothing, despite approval ratings that would make Nixon weep, which are better than Barack Obama's at the same time. And despite his mind-numbing political misjudgments, defending accused pedophiles, for example, what he said was you should elect Roy Moore so we don't have the, uh, the, the don't lose the vote in the Senate. In other words, it's, it's this list of things 
that is supposed to have the, the weight of panic about it. And yet at the same time, he, he then goes on and he says, consider Trump's record as president. He actually has something to run on. He cut taxes. He's rolled back regulations. He's put ISIS on its heels. The economy and the stock market are humming along again, despite recent turmoil. Any other Republican incumbent running on that record of relative peace and prosperity would be in pretty good shape for re-election. Trump, as loathed as he is, might not cruise to re-election on an electoral landslide like those predecessors, but if jobs continue to be... In other words, when he makes the list of Trump's accomplishments, the accomplishments are real. The crises are manufactured by the press. They're in the guy's head, but the, the uh, accomplishments are real. And by the way, don't think I'm saying that Trump doesn't court drama and melodrama. He does. He creates a lot of this atmosphere himself. I know he does, but that doesn't mean that you should be fooled. You shouldn't be fooled by Donald Trump or the media uh, you know, think, uh, let me, I'll get back to this in just one minute, and then we'll go talk to Michael Knowles about the history of gun control in this country. Uh, let's talk first about Da Vinci. Da Vinci is a really, really useful company that rents out businesses, uh, business space for you when you're on the road, but it also will give you an address where you can direct people to your business. I run my own business, right? I'm a writer. I have a little outhouse in the back of my house. I can't say, you know, send things to the outhouse in the back of my house. With Da Vinci, you can get a very respectable address. And of course, anywhere I am, it stops being respectable. But they will give you access to thousands of high-profile business addresses in upper-scale office locations in all 50 states. A business address from Da Vinci helps boost your company's image without breaking the bank. Great addresses start at just $50 a month. Strip mall and P.O. box addresses don't exactly scream image and reliability. With DaVinci, you get an address that will do exactly that. DaVinci provides you instant access to thousands of high-profile business addresses in impressive upper-scale office locations in all 50 states. And, uh, and they are, like I said, they are uh, just, they start at just $50 per month. And if you go to DaVinciWork.com slash Clavin, for a limited time, you can get 50% off your first purchase. Now, you're going to say, 50%? How do you spell Clavin? K-L-A-V-A-N. Go to DaVinci, that's spelled like the artist, D-A-V-I-N-C-I, DaVinciWork.com slash Clavin. Terms and conditions do apply. See DaVinciWork.com slash Clavin for details and get 50% off your first purchase of an address that will impress. Now, let me just read one more thing before we go on to, uh, to Knowles. In USA Today, Jim Beckerman, no, it's not just you is the headline. Everybody is exhausted, and no, it's not getting better. Wildfires, terror attacks, rising tensions with North Korea, racist rallies, political investigations in Washington, the nonstop barrage of presidential tweets, more and worse mass shootings from Las Vegas to Florida, a tsunami of sexual harassment accusations, the role of Russians in our elections, climate change, red state, blue state division, and not one, not two, but three of the worst hurricanes on record put together, and it's understandable why exhausted Americans are limping along and running out of gas. Now, let me ask you something. All those things happen. He's actually, it's not like the other article where he's making stuff up. Is that your life? Is that your life? I mean, some of my friends were caught up in that mudslide in Montecito. Is it your life? It's not my life. You know, my life is humming along. You know, I, I, don't, I don't feel this. This is the news. When you read the news, when you take the news too seriously, when you forget the fact that the news is condensed, all the bad news from all over the country, a big, big country with lots of people in it, goes into the front page of the paper. All the bad news from around the world into the paper. They want you to believe that that's the world, but look at your own life. I say this to liberals all the time when they're telling me that Donald Trump is a Nazi. I say, like, 
are you running? Are you hiding? Are you, do you have a, 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 a hole behind your shelf where you go because Donald Trump is coming to get you? You're not living like that. When they tell me it's the end of the world, I say, do you have an IRA? If, if it's, you have an IRA, how can it be the end of the world? You cannot believe it's the end of the world if you have a retirement account. People make decisions based on the facts, but they make decisions in an atmosphere created by narrative. And the left creates these narratives of panic, of crisis, in order to get you to do the wrong thing. Luckily, you have me. It's just the Clavenless Weekend. It's only the Clavenless Weekend where they can operate with impunity. All right, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month. And you can be in the mailbag. You can ask questions. You can watch the whole show. And for a lousy 100 bucks, you get a year-long subscription and the Leftist Tears Tumblr. The Leftist Tears Tumblr, you will watch. We will keep this on camera. So as Michael Knowles is speaking, it, you, will, you can watch it fill with leftist, magic leftist tears, which cure all kinds of diseases. I'm making most of that up, but I hope you believe it because I said it, so it must have some kind of importance. All right, <laughs> we'll cut away to, uh, to, we will cut away to thedailywire.com. Come with us and listen to Knowles. All right. Knowles, you're there. There you are. There we are. I went, oh, I can't hear him in my, I stopped the hammering. I got nothing in my head. Stop the hammering. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. I went a little long. You only have 30 seconds to tell me the history of gun control. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) It's easy enough. It's uh, it's about disarming blacks. Is that a good segment? Are we done? (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Knowles. We'll see you. No. It is about disarming blacks. It is about disarming blacks. There is no other way to put it. It's very funny now because people are saying, Oprah Winfrey is saying that gun control is the new civil rights movement. (laughs) I suggest she uh, revisit the old civil rights movement, (laughs) which was about reversing gun control and not disarming blacks. The earliest uh, gun control on the U.S. came in Virginia in 1640. It was explicitly to disarm not only slaved blacks, but free blacks as well. Uh, throughout the run-up to the Civil War, especially after Nat Turner's rebellion, a l- slew of states passed laws to disarm freed blacks. Hmm. They reversed state Supreme Courts, to reversed decisions that uh, f- upheld the Second Amendment as an individual right and upheld uh, gun rights that were in state constitutions. They just reversed them without any explanation. The uh, Ku Klux Klan rose up only in places where they had successfully disarmed blacks. That's where they were able to maintain a stranglehold, and they fell apart in those places Mm. only when uh, courts protected uh, black people's rights to keep guns. This was accepted by civil rights advocates all the way back to Plessy v. Ferguson, all the way back to the, the Dred Scott decision, which did not recognize blacks of slave ancestry as citizens was decided in no small part because if they were citizens, they get to have guns. And if they get to have guns, that's a very bad thing. Is that, is that true? That is true. You can read it in the decision. Yeah. And I'll go into a little bit, instead of 30 seconds here, I'll have about 35 minutes on my show where I'll go a little bit more in depth on the, uh, the decisions themselves. But this goes back all the way to 1640. It goes right up through Jim Crow. Jim Crow was the foundation of modern gun control. It was the, uh, primary plan of the KKK, which was the military wing of the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party hasn't changed its tune. It's been trying to disarm blacks <laughs> for, for many centuries now. It's the oldest uh, running political party in the world, and uh, it's still doing it. Now but, that's, but, you know, I mean, in this case, blacks stand in for anybody whose civil rights have been taken away 
and who want to defend their civil rights. They stand in for us. They stand in for every single person who is in that situation. This is, the, this is an important point because actually in the North, gun control eventually spread to target some Italians in New York, which by the way, fair enough. As an, <laughs> I, I will say you can have that one, yeah. fair enough. Uh, but it targeted Jews in New York. It was targeting Mexicans. Hey, Jews have got to have other guns. States. Jews yeah, don't that's have right. guns is not a good situation. <laughs> for thousands yeah. of years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. History would look a lot different. Yeah, exactly. um, so that's certainly true. They stand in for those people because uh, you'll hear people say, who needs an AR-15 to hunt a deer? And I say, uh, nobody. Nobody yeah. needs it. Nobody's ever, actually, you, you really can't use an AR-15 <laughs> to hunt a deer. Yeah. It isn't strong enough. Uh, the, but the purpose of the Second Amendment is to protect anybody, not just blacks, not just whites, against tyranny. There is one story, it's an amazing story, I don't know if people know about this, that explains this perfectly well. Okay. Because a lot of times people will say, well, uh, who, who needs an individual right to guns to protect against tyranny, the federal government would clobber you, would clobber the citizens. The federal government has spent 14 years trying to occupy Afghanistan. That's right, that's right. And Vietnam before that. Vietnam before that. And, and of course, you saw the movie Red Dawn, more importantly. I mean, a small, <laughs> right. a small band of uh, vigilantes can do a lot of damage. Yeah. That's right. P plus, something tells me if the gun owners and pro-civil liberties people in this country rebel, I bet a lot of people in the armed forces will probably come join our side. So <laughs> yeah. that's, that's neither here nor there. But uh, there, there is a time and there is a place at which citizens have taken up their Second Amendment rights to protect all of their other rights, and they did it successfully. This is called the Battle of Athens. The Battle it, of Athens. Okay. Battle of Athens. It occurred in East Tennessee in 1946. It's an amazing story. So it's this county, McMinn County. It was a very diverse county. Uh, tended to, it was politically very divided. When the Civil War broke out, Tennessee voted against secession, then it voted for secession, then the Union troops invaded, and they got more regiments out of McMinn County than the Confederates mm. did. There's clearly a lot of political tension there. But Republicans tended to win elections in this area. Until 1936, when a Democrat political machine moves in the Crump political machine, and they start- <laughs> make that up. The Crump <laughs> the machine? Crump. Okay. The, yeah. it, it gets even better. Yeah. They, so they, they install their guys there. There's this guy, the Sheriff Cantrell, and uh, he was the sheriff for a few terms. Then he moved up to state senator and put his deputy, Pat Mansfield, in charge as sheriff. Because this is how these machines work. They just hop around positions. I see it in New York all the time. And uh, they trade. Yeah. So anyway, during this time, this was 1936 to 1946, during this decade, all of the men were away at sea. They, they were overseas fighting the Nazis. So all of the strong armed men in this town were gone and all of a sudden political corruption moves in. Hmm. Now these men heard about this while they were fighting the Germans, while they were fighting the Japanese, and they said, can't wait to get back home. Time to fix things up in my town. Hmm. So when they get back, they, there was corruption everywhere. The, this Democrat machine reduced the voting precincts by half. They reduced the justices of the peace. There was rampant election fraud. Everybody knew it. Manipulating the poll tax. They started pulling over buses and just randomly ticketing people for drunkenness. You know, they so raised just to collect money. Just to collect money. It, in just that decade, they raised three hundred thousand dollars doing that. It's <laughs> a lot of money in the yeah. 1930s. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So anyway, so the G, the GIs get back. 3,000 of them get back, 10% of the population of this county. Uh, they decide they're going to run and clean up this town. The patrolmen aren't going down easy. The sheriff normally would deploy 15 patrolmen on election day. He deployed 200. He start, he's, he's, uh, the, all the GI poll watchers were arrested. They were charged with federal offenses. Ah. Uh, there was a patrolman, a, a Windy Wise. Uh, he turned a black voter away. This guy 
Tom Gillespie, who was going to vote for the good GI Republicans. He turned him away at the polls. He then punched him with brass knuckles as this guy, as this black voter was running away. He pulls out a pistol, shoots him in his back. Oh, just to make oh. clear what's going on. Yeah. This is when all hell breaks loose. The GIs led by a guy named Bill White said, you know, looks like we're not going to be able to win this election because they're not playing fair. Time to go get our guns. They all go home. They get their personal guns. They raid the local armory. They, they end up taking. <laughs> I love uh, America. It's yeah. so, this is so American. <laughs> they take 60 Enfield rifles and two Thompson submachine guns. <laughs> they come chasing these damn dirty Democrats trying to steal the election. They all the Democrats hole up in the jail. And by the way, by this point, the GIs already have a couple deputies hostage. They're <laughs> holding them hostage. So they say, get out and give us the ballot box. The Democrats in the jail, they say, we're not going to give you the ballot box. They say, last warning, give us that ballot box. We're going to prove you didn't get any votes. G the, the Democrats in the jail say, we're not going to do it. They unleash a hellstorm of fire on this jail. They burn this thing to the ground. Thompson submachine guns going. They throw Molotov cocktails. That was before they dynamited the place. This thing goes up in smoke. So guess what happened? The deputies turned over the ballot boxes. They, they were initially, the deputies were going to claim a 15 to 1 victory over the GIs. They counted the ballots. Didn't work out that way. So... <laughs> These Democrats. Well, Democrats never change. They, they never, never change. change. They sit on that ballot box, baby. <laughs> this, is, this is echoes of 1960 all over again. All the dead people in Illinois must have voted in <laughs> McMinn County. So that's an amazing story. And they and and the GIs knew this. They said, if we lose here, we're all going to go to jail for the rest of our lives. Uh -huh. Yeah. But if we win, these Democrats are going to be charged with crimes. These Democrats are going to be run out of town. And they did win. Uh, it it and and they and they cleaned up the town. They cleaned all of the corruption out of the town. I think they chased the Democrats out of the state. They certainly out of the area. And this is this is an example. Uh, and early, this wasn't that long ago. This is 1946 of uh, Americans being able to protect their rights. The Second Amendment exists in case the government stops allowing the First Amendment and all of the other ones. They they fought back. They stood and fought, so to speak. And it also does away with all of this nonsense of, well, we, we can have these guns, but not the strong ones. Only the cops get to have the strong guns. Right, right, right. The, the Second Amendment exists in, in the, as a last stave against tyranny. And we've seen this for 400 years now. You would think that, that people would learn their lessons, but for 400 years, the, these racist elements, particularly led by Democrats, have been trying to quash everybody's rights. And uh, no matter what 17-year-old children tell me on CNN, uh, I think I'm going to stick with the civil rights. Yeah, and you know, this, this thing about a, a political machines, which historically the Democrats have done better than Democrats, you know, the, the Detroit, Baltimore, all these uh, Chicago, yeah. all these places where they're controlled, New York, where, where they are controlled by Democrat machines. If you think it can't happen at the federal level, take a look at the fact that Barack Obama had the IRS silence his political enemies, that he had the uh, Justice Department spy on his political enemies, that he had the State Department lie in, uh, to the press to advance his Iran deal. I mean, it, it can be done. It can be done. And there is a point there. You know, this is a revolutionary country. And either we say, well, it's no longer a revolutionary country. Now we just bow to the king. Or we say, no, you know, it's still a revolutionary country. That's why I have a gun. And, and we will come after. Just be warned. We will come after right. you if you don't do this. And by the way, yeah. this is not a good faith debate. Uh, twice yeah. as many people are killed each year by hands and feet as right. by rifles of yeah. any kind, including the AR-15. Well, they want to ban those next. They want to ban the hands and feet <laughs> coming next. They, this isn't a good faith debate. Yeah. They are just trying to disarm you. They've been trying to do it for 400 years. This is no different. We shouldn't give them one 
ounce of respect. They're pimping out 17-year-old kids to do it. I know. We I know. shouldn't give them one yeah. ounce of respect. It is not a debate. Keep your guns, and you'll make sure that it only remains a debate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the Michael Knowles Show is coming up. Great job. That's a really good story about the Battle of it. Athens. Is that what it's called? The Battle of Athens, yeah. What, what year was it? This is 1946. That's great. You'd think it was like 1746. This is 1946. Yeah, yeah. And good to see that Americans still have the spirit <laughs> to flex their muscles and yeah. their rights. Unbelievable. All right, the Michael Knowles Show is coming up. He'll talk about this more. Thanks a lot, Knowles. That's good. All right. Hey, wait, before you do our crappy culture, there is something else I want to play. I want to play this thing that happened with Michael Wolff, who went to Australia without, nobody told him that in Australia they have journalists. So this guy who's sitting in, he's sitting in for the real guy on their, their morning show. He goes after Michael Wolff because Wolff said that he was absolutely certain that Donald Trump was having an affair right now in office. And, and watch what happens. Just last month, you Hello? said you were absolutely sure that the president was having an affair, and now you say I'm, that I'm he not is not. Getting, I'm not getting anything. You're not hearing me, Mr. Wolf. No, I'm not getting anything. We were hearing each other no. well just before. You're not hearing I'm me, not Mr. Wolf. Do you do you hear? I'm I'm not. Mr. Wolf was hearing anything. me before, but he's not hearing me anymore. So I'm it not looks hearing like anything. The interview may so, be over. Here is here's the tape of what Michael Wolff actually heard, what was coming over his headset. You said during a TV interview just last month <laughs> that you are absolutely sure that Donald Trump is currently having an affair while president behind the back of the First Lady. And I repeat, you said you were absolutely Hold, I, sure. Yeah, I can't. Last week, however, you backflipped and said, I quote, I do not know if the president is having an affair. Do you owe the president and the first lady an apology, Mr. Wolf? I, I can't hear you. <laughs> Just Hello? last month, you said you were absolutely sure that the president was having an affair. I'm, I'm not getting. I'm not getting anything. You're not hearing me, Mr. Wolf. No, I'm not getting anything. No. We were hearing each other well just before. I'm not getting anything. <laughs> That's awkward, isn't it? Now, this is the guy that the left, uh, one of the wonderful things about the left is they know they're running a narrative, even as they were debunking this guy's information from his stupid book about Donald Trump. They were having him on. They were putting him on the, the, their shows. They were putting him on in morning shows and saying, well, if it's, you know, even if the facts aren't are wrong, the narrative is right. And it's part of this whole idea of creating an atmosphere of corruption, authoritarianism, and crisis that is simply, as far as we know, not going on. If tomorrow they come out and say, oh, Donald Trump is using the IRS to silence his political enemies, you'll hear it from me. I will, I will not defend his actual bad act. But as long as they're just talking about their tone of crisis, I don't see any reason why any of us should panic and get upset, including people on the left, by the way. All right, now let's do our crappy culture. So speaking of this narrative, uh, this idea of dishonest narrative, today, for in one of the very rare times, I almost never do this, I actually wrote a letter to the editor. This, in this case, the editor of the Wall Street Journal, which is a paper I like very much. But recently, the New York Times ran a story in which, where they said the editor-in-chief, Gerard Baker, told his staff to get rid of commentary dressed up as news reporting and stick to the reporting. Today, a, a story that is a 
textbook case in dishonest reporting was in the Wall Street Journal in their international section. The headline was Germany's booming economy leaves female workers behind. It was written by Nina Adams and Andrea Thomas. Now, listen to this. I, I, I'm going to do this as quickly as possible because I could do it with every line of the piece, but I'll just take one little part of it. In the last five years, Germany's booming economy has created so many jobs that it has made unemployment almost a thing of the past. But one group has been left by the wayside, women. In a country governed by a female chancellor for more than a decade, women remain comparatively underemployed and underpaid, a trend that economists say is, is already holding back the country's growth, exacerbating its skill shortages, and leaving some scrambling to make ends meet in retirement. Now, we've just heard that Germany has a booming economy, so the problem is all in the, idea, in the minds of experts. But still, what exactly is driving so many German women away from full-time employment? Motherhood is one main factor. The scarcity of childcare in Germany plays a crucial role in limiting women to part-time work, an undefended assertion, right? Since there is more demand than supply for kindergarten spots for toddlers and the school day for elementary age children tends to end at 1.30 p.m. So they tell you, these reporters tell us, that the scarcity of childcare is why these mothers are staying home. Then they go on. It says, even well-meaning laws designed to boost Germany's birth rates right, are keeping women at home. An entitlement to generous parental leave creates an incentive for young mothers to take long career-damaging breaks, experts say. Now, down below, they actually ask the German women. Would German women, even with more encouragement, really want to work more? Surveys show most German women don't think mothers of small children should work full-time. They're doing what they think is right. And then the, this, the, these are the reporters speaking, indeed, a stubborn stigma still adheres to working moms in Germany. Stubborn stigma is feminist talk for the truth. Fem women want to stay home. They want to stay home and take care of their babies. It's one of the chief joys of life. It's so much more important than what any stupid corporation does anywhere. Anywhere, it is the central occupation of humankind being a homemaker and a mom, and these women want to do it. Every line of this article is dishonest like that. Every single one is a piece of feminist editorializing. The editor should go down to those women's desks and put them on obits for the next six weeks until they learn how to be reporters instead of opinion uh, mongers. That this is happening at the Wall Street Journal, which is usually the grown-up paper in town, uh, is really sad. And it's part of what is happening with this idea that these people are there to create a narrative, not to sell the facts. And all I can say is we should stick to the facts, but we should also learn to use the facts to create good narratives so that people understand what we're talking about in emotional as well as in intellectual terms. Tomorrow, we don't know who we're getting. We're still getting a guest, but we have different guests, so I won't say, but it's going to be fantastic. Whoever it is, it'll be terrific. We may even have that kid David Hogg on, just slap him around for half an hour. All right, I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Welcome back to the Claven filled Week. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.